0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, our gospel reading today portrays for us three seemingly different and unrelated events right in sequence with each other. We have a a healing done by Jesus, a, a parable from Jesus about social norms, and then a teaching from Jesus about how to regard the poor. Now, it may leave one feeling that these aren't really related much at all, other than they have something to do with Jesus, of course. However, when we look at the text more closely, we realize that all of these moments are happening within the same occasion. They're all at the same day. They're all at a dinner party. Jesus went to the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, on one Sabbath day and and the entirety of our gospel reading therefore takes place within this event okay you might say so all this took place at the same event but but what's the connection between them well a connection here might be hard to find or seem like it's hard to find that is until we hear Jesus say in verse 14 right at the end of our gospel reading for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. That's when the light begins to turn on. We realize that what Jesus has been doing all along here is patiently revealing to the host, to all those who were attending the dinner, and to us today, what living in the light of the resurrection truly means. I want to ask you, what comes to mind when you think about the resurrection? For some of us, it might be all clouds and angels and souls taking flight. For others, and understandably so, it means a reunion with those whom we love. And for all of us, it should also mean this broken and sinful world and our broken and sinful bodies suddenly and fully restored by our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, on the day when he returns to raise us from the dead. In each of these cases, however, I want you to notice something. Notice that when we think about the resurrection, usually it means for us an event located sometime in the future. Something that we don't necessarily consider here and now, but rather is yet to come. And in some ways that's true, of course. We say in the Nicene Creed, for instance, I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Because we know that that's true. We are looking forward to the day when Jesus returns and we will live with him forever. But there's something insufficient about that. If that's our only concept of the resurrection, that it has absolutely nothing to do with our lives today. You see, that's precisely what Jesus was getting at, that the resurrection is yet to come But, knowing that we will one day live in the resurrection, it also means that its light extends backward in time and affects how we live right now. That the resurrection does, in fact, shape our lives today. So let's go back to the text for just a few moments and see, with this in mind, what Jesus was up to. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to open up to Luke chapter 14. And and what we find is that these three things that happened at this dinner party, in each of them, Jesus is using that particular moment to share with those who are in attendance a glimpse of what it means to live in the light of the resurrection. The first thing that happens is when a man with dropsy suddenly appears before Jesus. Now this was likely no accidental happening. When you notice what Luke the Gospel writer says, that the lawyers and the Pharisees were watching Jesus carefully. This man with a debilitating disease that caused severe swelling of the body, he was there as a test for Jesus. They wanted more evidence against Jesus to see whether or not he was going to supposedly break the Sabbath rules and perform work on the holy day of rest. But notice what Jesus says. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? To which no one answered, because truth be told, no one quite knew the answer. You see, no one could heal like Jesus could. And that's the point. Jesus was there to bring something that no one else could bring. A glimpse of what life in the resurrection was like. And it was a foreshadowing of that perfect healing that, would take place for, that is going to take place for all of us at the end of time. That's what his miracles were demonstrating. You see, for Jesus, the resurrection wasn't only an event in the future. Jesus was going to bring it into the present as he heals the man. We can't heal like Jesus can. He is God and we are not. But what this shows for us, what Jesus shows for us, is that even so, Jesus asks his next question. He says, which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And of course, the people would have. We would. And so despite the importance of of whether it's traditions or religious observances or anything else that we hold in high regard, you know, the things that we get at after, day after day, none of those things should supersede the, the mercy and the help that we are to show our fellow human beings as we live in light of that future day of healing. The second thing that happens is when Jesus takes now a more passive role. He sits back, and he's just watching people as they choose their seats for dinner. It's, it's this almost humorous scene of people scrambling to get the best place because they thought that it meant more honor for them to sit near the head of the table rather than somewhere down the line. And it became for them a, somewhat of a, a visual representation. That's how they view it. It was a visual representation of how you ranked socially compared to everyone else in attendance. And so this led Jesus to tell a simple parable about being invited, being invited to a wedding feast. He tells them not to immediately seek out the best seat, because after all, you might be asked to give up your seat to someone more important and move down the line. Much better to go to the lowest possible seat and then be told later, friend, move up higher. So Jesus says everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will. Will be exalted. But you see, this is far more than just some social etiquette offered by Jesus. There's a reason why Jesus brings up a wedding feast parable when he's at a dinner party. Jesus is looking forward to what it will be like at the resurrection, which the Bible describes over and over again, that it will be like a wedding feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride. And at that feast, who will be taking part in it? Will it be everyone who earned their place there? Will it be everyone who impressed God so much by all of their good works? No. Attending attending there will be every sinner, you and me, who we could never earn a spot at the table, let alone earn a, a place of honor. But because we are forgiven by the blood of Jesus, we are promised a spot at the marriage feast of the Lamb. And Jesus will ultimately be the one who invites humble sinners like you and me To be exalted on that day as we dine and live with him forever. Jesus will say, friend, move up higher. Not because we earned it, but because he graciously desires us to be there. And so knowing this, it does affect our lives. It does affect how we behave at, at dinner parties, at wedding feasts, at every social situation that we might find ourselves in. But but what we are doing is attempting to live in light of what we know will happen at the resurrection. There At the resurrection, we won't be making grandiose presumptions about ourselves. There, we won't be attempting to exalt ourselves. There, we will only be able to act humbly because we are truly humble before the Almighty God. But God has already chosen to exalt us through his Son by no good work that we do. And so our lives reflect that gracious reality we don't need to be exalted here in this world we have already been exalted in Jesus Christ and what more could we ask for the third thing that happens at this dinner party is that Jesus finally does turn to the host who had invited him the ruler of the Pharisees and he says directly to him when you give a dinner or banquet Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. This is a painting called The Great Banquet, where you see just that crowd on the left-hand side being invited into that great banquet. The poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame, those who are being carried over people's shoulder, But that's precisely who Jesus says, invite to your feasts. Now, to the world, this would never make any sense. You don't invite people who, first of all, you may not have that much regard for. And second of all, who can't help you in climbing the the social ladder of this world. Remember, at this time, people who were in that situation, the poor, the crippled, the the lame, the blind, people assumed that they were in such a condition because they had done something wrong or that someone in their family had done something wrong. They were the lowest of the low in the eyes of the world as well as supposedly in the eyes of God. Not to mention that your invite to them could never benefit you because they could never repay you. Besides, what would your neighbors say when they saw the kind of company you were keeping? But Jesus says, You will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And this then is what Jesus uses to reveal what he has been patiently teaching them all along what it means to live in the light of the resurrection. That what we think and what we do is shaped by our future reality. That if we live in the light of of this world, in this world only, then we would never think to extend help and mercy. We would never seek to live humbly at the expense of our own exaltation. We would never seek to benefit those whom we know could never benefit us in return. But since we are the ones upon whom God has had mercy, we are the ones upon whom God has exalted, even though we are humbled in our sin, and we are the ones to whom God has chosen to extend his eternal benefits, even though we could never repay him, we can't help but then live our lives in a radically different way. The resurrection isn't only a future event. Its life, its newness of life, is a gift that has been given to each and every one of us already in our baptism. And that gift of resurrected life then unlocks our present day as a present from God in which we live. Now imagine with me for just a moment what that actually means. Imagine what living in light of the eternal reign of Christ would mean for you right now. Suddenly, seemingly mundane occurrences, mundane things, things like who you invite over to your house for dinner, or the conversations with neighbors that you have as you pass them on the sidewalk, or or maybe as you offer a, a helping hand, or those whom you choose to sit with at the lunch table. All of these moments can now be touched with the light of the resurrection. No longer are you bound by social consequences. There is no need for you to preserve some kind of status quo. You no longer need to let fear, whether that's a fear of rejection or shame or humiliation, keep you from doing something God is leading you to do. And this is what Jesus is teaching us. Rather than living according to the rules of a a world governed by social stratification, a world where there are those we are supposed to invite into our homes and those we aren't, people we are supposed to impress to secure our future and people that we are called to ignore, and mercy and help that we either need to give or withhold, depending on who is watching us, instead we live by a brand new set of rules. We live in a kingdom governed by God and his gracious promise of eternal life. And with that kingdom, we don't need to work hard to secure our place there. Jesus has already secured our place for us. And so we have been freed by Christ. We have been freed by Christ from all sin, all death, all fear. And since we are free, we are now freed To use our time and our energy, not for ourselves, we don't need it, but for other people. Something as simple as a conversation you have. uh, Offering your time or your help. A simple expression of love. All of these can become moments, can become occasions where we confess our steadfast belief in the resurrection that is to come. By what we say and do right now. Of course, I do need to point out that this kind of living does come with a warning. This kind of living could get one excluded or shamed or rejected by the world. Canceled as they say today. You see, this world does not accept that kind of mentality. Of allowing any kind of future reality to shape our present. Much better, the world says, that every person should instead live for the day and live for themselves. And anyone who doesn't fall into line with this kind of thinking is not usually welcomed by the world. In fact, it could even cause one to lose one's life, figuratively, perhaps, but also perhaps literally. After all, that's what happened to Jesus. So abhorrent to this world was his teaching to live in light of the resurrection, to live in light of our eternal life with God, a teaching he was bringing straight into the house of the ruler of the Pharisees that day. Well, this all added up to Jesus' enemies wanting to kill him. And they did. Jesus was rejected by his own. Jesus was rejected by sinful people, including by our nature, you and me. Jesus was rejected by a world that because of sin knows nothing better than to live by the creed. Anything we say goes. You see, that's exactly why Jesus came in the first place. Jesus came to bring us his kingdom of the resurrection. And with him, it broke into our reality and began a not so secret overthrow of Of a world that had only before then been marked by sin and death. And ironically it was by his death. Jesus' death on the cross. The world's ultimate symbol of shame and rejection. That his kingdom of life was ultimately victorious. And it was by his resurrection. That your own resurrection was secured. That's how you know what is waiting for you in your future. Because Jesus died for you, and then came back to life, and he is the one who promises to raise you, and you know that is a promise he intends to keep. And so until that day, you are called to live now a life of mercy and helping others. You are called to live a life of humility and grace. You are called to live a life of valuing people that this world sees no value in. Whether that's the poor, the blind, the outcast, the unborn, the aged. And instead begin to see them as God does. A person for whom Jesus died and rose again. This kind of living takes strength. It takes courage. But God has already given you everything you need by the power of his Holy Spirit. And he is at work within you, enabling you each and every moment of each and every day to live your life in the joyful and the wonderful light of the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.